0: Welcome everybody to the Soil Podcast. I am Tom L.C. Ship. I'm Jack Leeson. And I'm S.K. And today we're going to be talking about uh, different formats for mediums for storytelling.
1: Yeah, so like TV,
2: movies, uh, novels versus short stories, poems, music, video games, that sort of stuff. Uh, we're just going to be kind of comparing, contrasting them, just having a general discussion about our experiences with them and, and our opinions on them. Go ahead and start with uh, TV, which is my personal favorite of the story format, so that's probably why we're starting with TV. But, you know, it's, it's my favorite because in TV you have room to actually fully develop your characters. You have, you know, you have the time to actually establish the character's weaknesses and things and then actually see them grow over time, which is much more realistic than in, say, a movie, which kind of has to compress uh, a lot of that development into a short amount of time. But, you know, you have this very long, sometimes very long, Uh, story being told but within each individual episode you have the ability to experiment so you know a director might come on who has some vision for this particular episode so you can have kind of a lot of differences between episodes while still um, serving this this larger story format and for that reason I think it's it's probably the most versatile format and that's why it's kind of my favorite
0: Yeah, I'd say for me, if I want to see relationships between characters build over a long period of time, and if I want to see that as it's going on, like in Game of Thrones, you get to see the relationships change as time goes on. And you also get to see more in depth the character changes because they're not limited to a two hour or feature length or a three movie set. They can spend as much time with the character as more so. I've also learned all of my morals from TV growing up, <laughs> just from <laughs> just sitcoms. Did not have and parents, such. <laughs> they were they were the stand-in parents, and my parents, you know, weren't available for teaching. <laughs> but I, I just think TV shows also do like comedy better, and like you know, you get your quick fixes, like uh, your cartoons and your Simpsons, your quick satire hits.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, your your quick hit Simpsons.
2: Although I I would say that the, um, the shows that are much more episodic, where there's not really an overarching anything, it's just kind of each episode is its own thing. Except for, you know, a few choice examples. Those are really, they're not the type of show that, at least I personally like. Something like cop shows, or, uh, like comedy shows, that there's nothing really happening between episodes, it's just an individual sitcom type. Uh.
1: Well, you're not the market audience. Yeah, clearly.
2: I I know. But still, there's not a lot of overarching character development that happens in those types of shows. And they don't really ever have, especially cop shows, don't really ever have something new to say beyond the bad guys are bad.
0: And they're not as handsome as House Hugh Laurie's. Hugh Laurie. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I remember that long-running cop show where Hugh Laurie was a doctor cop.
0: Yes, I do.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. Where he was a detective doctor. Oh, wait, Mm -hmm. that's an actual show. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. To your point about the episodic element of television episodes is that, yeah, sometimes a series can run for so long that they have to rely on the episodic nature of TV to actually fill it with some substance. Right. That's not necessarily a good thing when it comes to a series like dramas, where there is an overarching plot and lots of character change. But if we spend too much time facilitating the character changes on a television show, then sometimes characters flip. And that's one of my big problems with long running TV shows. Yeah. And that's one of my problems with the TV show format itself is that because it's so ratings based, you can extend a show longer than necessary, mm-hmm. like Dexter. Or How I Met Your Brother.
0: I was about to say, How I Met Your Brother. <laughs>
1: Although to
2: that point, that is also a little bit more how life works, right? We, uh, we think we've learned something and, 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 and we, we go in this new direction and then, you know, maybe another years passed and we actually realize that wasn't the right way to go and we, we reverse our uh, choices. And so you, in life, you kind of have a back and forth like experiment
0: and learn. Because um, right, so no one told us life is going to be this way.
1: I understand your point. I'm just saying that when it comes to a television show, oftentimes it's done purely to extend the show for the sake right. of keeping the show on, exactly. not because the character change actually makes sense. Right. Look right. at Supernatural. I uh, was
2: That's exactly what I was about to bring up.
1: Sam and Dean, they flip morals every All other season. Yeah. Dude, not to a point where they're actually, yeah, growing. They're just flipping back and forth because this season Sam has to be the bad guy and this season yeah. Dean has to be the bad guy.
2: Or it would be more organic if the season was taking them from the point they were at and then doing something new to challenge their their beliefs or whatever and then over the course of that season they were like, "Okay, I'm going to go the opposite way now." You know, that would make sense. But usually in Supernatural what happens is they just at the beginning of the season decide, "Okay, now your character is this." Uh, because we want you to be the bad guy this time. They don't really have an action. And then maybe they grow from that point, but it doesn't make sense between the seasons, and so it kind of feels very... uh, It's episodic, but in seasonal form.
1: (laughs) Strangely, yeah. Just for the sake of the television format, in today's climate, I'd really Mm -hmm. appreciate, with so much media just springing up everywhere, that you just tell a good uh, good story and just be done with it
2: end it where it needs to be ended and don't drag it. Up.
1: Yeah.
0: TV is also a good uh, format for extending on shows like you got the spin-offs Better Call Saul and The Mandalorian It's a good time to explore the other parts Mm -hmm. of the universe The story Yeah, I think
2: TV has a unique ability to do that I mean, obviously you have other Like movie series that can do that They have the legs to do so Something like uh, Lord of the Rings Or um, as we've seen Star Wars, obviously Being able to to expand on their worlds But, you know, TV, you kind of expect it, right? It's because it's such a long-running format It doesn't feel out of place for a new story To kind of come out of the world because it has the legs, whereas movies, they're just... They tend to be self-contained. Even if you have a series, it's like a three movie series feels like it's a, it's really long, but like that's, you could watch a whole season of a TV show and that would take longer than those three movies, right? So, and you'd still have eight more seasons of the TV show to go. So movies tend to have, they're more, they're more self-contained. So it's, it's a little harder, I think, to actually jump off of them because they only have so much time to, to dive into their worlds before you have to just get to it, right?
1: Well, yeah, personally, I don't like spinoffs for movies. No, not at all. Not really. No. Whenever okay. they were doing uh, Agents of Shield spinoff from the Marvel yeah. movies, I don't know. I was instantly turned off. There was nothing about that that I was thinking I was going to enjoy. I don't know why. I just, yeah. I just don't really care.
2: I kind of had the, I kind of had the same feeling. Like I've never watched uh, any of the Marvel stuff. Although I did watch Jessica Jones because, well, David Tennant was in it. <sighs> God, I watched David Tennant. But beyond that, yeah, I haven't watched any of the Marvel stuff
1: for TV. Alright, Well, let's segue back to film. What is it about films that makes them so damn interesting?
2: Well, I think part of the power of film is you have, well, it it has some, first I actually want to talk about some of the issues that you could have in, in film. I mean, we've already touched on them a little bit, but I kind of want to expand on that and then kind of go back to why they're powerful. I feel like a lot of people think that writing a movie or um, a short story are uh, is going to be easy. Like writing this screenplay for a movie is going to be easy because it's first a screenplay. It's like you know a page per minute, so it's like oh, I just got to write like 127 minutes or just 127 uh, pages, and I'm good to go, right? Uh, but it's actually, I think, actually harder to write something shorter than, say, a novel or a TV show simply because you have less time to establish characters and and, and plot and so and and explore a theme and so you have to just very quickly do everything and and get to it and so it's it's a lot harder to actually do something effectively within those shorter formats um, and that's something that i think film struggles with
0: right, right. it uh, suffers from that i notice that usually in a lot of film adaptations of like novels they'll skip the exposition at the beginning and just go straight to the action because they just gotta get the ball
1: rolling Mm-hmm. i think that's a uh... That's a symptom of any time that some film is made with preconceived material, is if that if there's something to jump off of, the film has all of these assumptions, the filmmakers have all these assumptions they can make towards uh, what content people have been exposed to already. And I guess this just lends back to my point from an earlier episode about how when we adapt anything into a film. It should just be about making a good film. And I think that whenever we lean on anything besides the good film attitude, we can make a film that suffers.
2: Well, it's just, and and film is just, it's, it's so difficult to get right. Like, I mean, like I said, a lot of people think it's really, it's going to be easy to write something like this. And so you have a lot of screenplays coming out, but only a very, very, very select few of them actually get uh, picked up and, and turned into a movie. And it's something to be said that, you know, even if the the cream of the crop of the uh, screenplays that are being picked, right, are being turned into movies, and still you have a lot of movies that just kind of suck, um, <laughs> it's really something to be said about how difficult the medium actually is to get right.
0: I know that people usually consider film instead of the more serious art between it and TV, although it's kind of changing now with HBO shows and such.
1: I think it's, it has an inherited value as being the big brother to TV because mm-hmm. it was the precursor.
2: Yeah you could you had a like projector technology before there was um
0: TVs in your house technology
2: yeah, yeah exactly Yeah, it's something like HBO, like you said, Uh, now some TV shows are actually getting, like, the full budget that a movie can get, and sometimes even more. Like, a full season of Game of Thrones is, like, $100 million or something. Like, it was $10 million per episode to make that show. It's like, some movies only take, like, $50 million to make, you know? (laughs) Well, some of them only take, like, $200,000 to make, the really shitty ones. Um,
1: Yeah. The B-movies. And Blair Witch took $8 to make. There you go. See? I have no fucking idea how many dollars it took to make Blair Witch, but I'm assuming it's something around pocket change. Yeah,
2: yeah. Another thing about between movies and uh, versus TV is that TV also has the you can call it a either a strength or a weakness. Um, in that it allows for feedback from the fans. TV show or t- a, a season of a TV show ends, and you can see the feedback that you're getting from um the fans, and and the next season might adapt to actually either feed into their wants or their expectations, right? If you see a bunch of people with this theory about what's going to happen, you might be able to go, oh, maybe I'm going to do something else then, right? That they're not expecting. So you have that could be considered a strength, but it can also be considered a, a weakness if you give into them too much. And well,
1: I would say that the variability of that is interesting yeah. and that certain shows can benefit from it. But I would say for the most part that if, as a content creator, if you don't have a firm enough vision that the audience is deciding what to make for you, I, I don't think it's going to be a great show. Yeah, probably not yeah it's about that time to segue from film and television to some other form of print media you mean like a like a novel sure <laughs> yeah that's the that's the natural extension I was looking for.
2: <laughs> we definitely didn't segue for like twenty minutes there <laughs> uh thank you s k for editing all that fucking hot mess out <laughs> well uh the thing about novels. Similarly to TV shows, they also have the room to fully establish and explore their characters and their themes and actually create nuanced points. And because of that, I feel like, you know, we mentioned adaptation. Uh, Novels work the best when they're adapted into TV shows and something like a short story uh, works better when it's adapted into a movie. Otherwise, what happens is a movie has to trim out a lot of the detail from a novel in order to make it fit or a short story has to be really, really really heavily drawn out in order to fit into a, a tv show i mean that's not always the case look at the hobbit right the hobbit's kind of sort of a short story but then <laughs> and so that would be kind of the same sort of thing that would happen if you took a short story and converted it into a full-on tv show is it would just some of the sometimes the short story
0: just doesn't have the the breadth
2: to actually be drawn out that long yeah
0: sometimes like twilights Zone used to adapt short stories they're pretty good Mm. like how they used to do it like an occurrence an occurrence at owl creek was a famous short story that he adapted uh, that's sort of
1: what sci-fi is doing now with uh, channel zero they're taking creepypastas and turning them into short series oh no they're just they're
2: just straight up taking stuff from the internet
1: oh god i've seen them they're not all great they usually end pretty disappointingly but i think short stories can be what, what, what was the term you used they had the breath. They didn't have they the breath, have breath. To, uh,
2: to be extended uh, into a full-on TV show, generally.
1: Outside of an adaptation, I, I appreciate the short story for what it is. Yeah, I do as well. I like scary stories that are short. I don't want to read a thousand pages to find out the clown is an alien, <laughs> Stephen King. <laughs>
2: God. no I think no I think that's a really good point because like I think a short story uh it, it's somewhat analogous to a movie in that a movie can be more powerful than say a TV show and a short story and in that same vein a short story can be more powerful than a novel simply because they have to be more poignant uh they have' its, to, its potency the the you have so little time to actually establish things, you have to be—you have to do a really good job of actually uh, diving into the concepts you're exploring, uh, and you have—you have to do it very well, and you have to do it very quickly, and you have to get very deep into it.
1: Tom, I'm interested as a as an English major. That is I. What are some of your favorite written works?
0: My favorite written works, in terms of just novels, would be Jonathan Swift's *Gulliver's Travels*. Have I've enjoyed. The What is it called? The Canterbury Tales. That's kind of a short story format because it's a collection of different stories told by different pilgrims on a pilgrimage. And I'm currently in the audiobook works of Lord of the Rings. And I just love, I love to use my imagination instead of being told what things look like which you have to deal with in movies and TV.
2: That's true. However, I will argue, so argue, though, that because of that, you actually have more time in, say, a movie to devote towards establishing character or plot because you don't have to spend time describing the scene in a movie or TV show because you can just show it and then move on.
0: Right, as opposed to the book, like, it immerses you you're in there mm-hmm. you can smell the stuff whatever the author wants to make you go through simulate. yeah and you can actually get a little bit deeper
2: into like a character's inner thoughts and stuff in a, in a novel if the if the author cho- chooses to do so uh whereas you don't really have that option in a movie unless it's very very explicitly done right you can have narration or you
0: can i want to hear yeah. the thoughts of horror in their in the character's mind as it's happening that of Almost. just seeing them run yeah,
2: but also it's just kinda of like you can kinda of get a little bit of a deeper insight into like a character's motivations within a scene that you might not necessarily be able to get into in a in a movie or T V show, right? You might have to only read what's on the actor's face and that might be that's much more open to interpretation than being told the character is thinking X, Y, and Z. I
0: kinda hate when a book doesn't describe things. Like movies, TVs you have to see like their reactions to their faces. But in mm-hmm. books, like, they can withhold information and be like, and there was a man at the other side of the table looking at me like, well, what did he look like?
1: Do you not like to interpret?
0: <laughs> I can, but what if I interpret wrong?
1: Yeah, you might not want to interpret the information wrong, but what if it's the author's intent for you to interpret it in, in a very open way? I'm sure they're not going to tell you at the beginning of the book, oh yeah, when I don't give you information, just think, just picture whatever you want. I don't want to be that self-aware of a book I'm reading.
2: And maybe, Tom, you are limited in um, what you're able to see because you're seeing it from a character's perspective, and maybe the character can't see all the details of that other character's face or something.
0: So you're from the perspective of the character? Yeah. So which format do you think has the best perspective, or is it all just different? I don't, I don't, think, it's, I don't think there's a best format.
2: Besides, Tom, you said you don't like when an author withholds information from you, but that happens in every format. A, a TV show might not show you the character that's just entered, right? But you see the characters re- reacting to them like, oh, What are you doing here? But you never get to know who it is. Or, you know, they they wait until the next scene to show you who it was. That happens in every format. That's that's a choice that the creator has made to purposely withhold information from you because they're trying to draw out the
0: suspense. Yep. I think you're misinterpreting my original point. I was saying, what if I just misread what I read and I just imagine things differently and then on page 50 it's like and then he moved his curly hair and i was like oh yeah curly hair that's just bad writing i guess if you haven't mentioned it at that point
1: i can actually agree with that there, there have been times where i've been uh, you know balls deep into a book and suddenly i find out that a character doesn't look anything like i imagine they would just because they didn't establish it enough mm-hmm. but i don't know if that's on me or if it's on the author i don't know
2: i think i think that might be the outlier here then because i think you should o- in a book anyway you should only ever describe the things that are relevant and I mean, maybe, yes, it is relevant to kind of get a brief, whatever the, the character is able to see. I'm
1: I'm of the same opinion that only relevant information should be what's shared, but I don't know how you can bridge the disconnect between what I'm picturing versus what someone else might picture. And I think that's the, the big dissonance between the, the writing and the visual formats is that, yeah, you can rely on a lot of visual elements in TV, but... When it comes to the actual writing part, that's really open to interpretation and it puts a lot of weight on the reader.
0: And then there's like about interpretation. There's always the reader is going to interpret, each reader is going to interpret it differently. Like when it says Harry moved across the room, how they picture him moving across the room might differ as opposed to allotting all the roles to actors who just do their own interpretations and you can see their interpretations of like their facial expressions and how they move. In the reading, it's all up to you as a reader. And that's kind of mm-hmm. empowering. But at the same time, it's like, what if I do it wrong?
1: So let's bridge the gap between the print and film medias. Comic books. Comic books. Comic books. Comic books. Comic books. Comic books are fun. Yeah, they are. Eh. Comic books are interesting. Wow.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> like, some of them are good, but like, most of them? Uh-huh.
1: You're, you're, take, you're taking a hard-line opinion <laughs> right
0: now. <laughs> it's... I mean, I enjoy comic books every now and then. I enjoyed Mouse, and I read The Killing Joke. It was enjoyable. Well, yeah, I would
1: think you would enjoy classics.
0: But I don't go out of my way. Well, yeah, sure. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sorry, I feel like I I killed the train conductor. (laughs) Well, I think um, I think
2: comic books suffer from a similar thing that short stories and movies suffer from in that a lot of people think that they can write it because they're kind of good at drawing and they have a character or whatever in mind and they just kind of start going, but they don't understand a lot of the storytelling concepts and they don't understand a lot of the concepts that have to happen for a visual side of it. Right. And I think SKU you are very qualified to talk about those concepts.
1: <laughs> Thank you with my, my PhD in storytelling. Yes, exactly. I don't have a PhD. Don't please don't. <laughs> don't call my school. Um, A couple of elements I wanted to talk about concerning comic books is that if we look at books, we have the written word, right? And Mm -hmm. if we look at film and television, we have uh, aspect ratios. Mm-hmm. there's certain sizes there's only a certain area that we can fill with information in comic books with the variability of panel sizes we can change uh, the interpretation of how information is shared it's not always 16 by 9 right. and it's not always words wow, I'm all over the place with
0: this Saying Scott Pilgrim vs. World was awesome I love, uh, I love when they try to do comic book stuff in real life yeah
2: but you lose some of that right I think part of what SK was saying is like in comics you have a lot more freedom to play with the relationship between two panels in a movie it would be like a shot, but in comic books as a panel uh, and you have a lot of freedom to play with how they're related to each other in space in terms of distance and and their their size variability and also their aspect ratios. You know, a panel is not limited in a comic book to being 16 by 9 and there's, there is an inherent meaning behind different aspect ratios and like the ways in which the things within those panels take up that space. And so there's a lot more freedom and experimentation within comic books in terms of the visual side of
1: it. Yes, that was my point. Thank yeah. you for clarifying. Uh, the other element I want to talk about was thick and thin time Mm. in film and television we're reduced to whatever the interpretation of time is for how it's shown to us usually it's real time but we're limited to time lapses and slow motion right and in books we have sort of more interpretive time it basically takes as long as it takes us to read it. And it's kind of the same in comic books where we can slow things down by forcing a panel to be detailed or having information dispersed throughout it. That the eye moves around to the point that the time it takes for you to read a sentence or to read the panel is how long you're supposed to experience it for. Mm-hmm. And in a film, it's, it's, as, it's as long as it's on screen.
0: Right. Do you know that there's, like, there's a book called like how to read comic books or something? It's like a famous one. I'll have to get back yeah. to it.
1: Scott McCloud. Yeah,
0: that guy. He has a couple. He has a few
1: books, right? He's got three.
0: Yeah, that'd be an interesting book if you really want to dive into it. I
1: have all three of them.
0: <laughs> Those would be good reference material for today. Wow, Tom! Wow, you to do your homework are, on are time.
1: You, are you, you trying to? <laughs> what are you trying to say?
0: I want you to write an essay for me. I want
1: you to write something.
0: <laughs> I'm too busy grading. I'm the teacher in this imaginary standoff. Oh really? Oh really? <laughs> I have most experience as a teacher. Anyway.
2: Well, I think, uh, SK again, I think what you were uh, getting at in terms of timing, yeah, uh, in in novels or the written word, the time that it takes to read the thing in a novel is generally how long it takes within the novel. You know, whatever scene is playing out is approximately how long it takes for you to read the description of it or the dialogue time is kind of just in your own head and so but you still have to describe all the the scenery and stuff like that and so if you have a lot of detailed description of setting something can get dragged on a lot longer in a novel than it should
1: have well that was sort of my point was the experiential aspect of reading a book is that a minute can be a lot longer than a minute and i'm not saying as a mistake that that's that was was my point
2: Comic books are i think are interesting because they have that kind of combination between or as we said middle ground between the written word and the filmed mediums Well, Tom, you want to talk about the other sort of uh, middle ground format in terms of visual and audio? So
0: video games, which is the newest of the formats, I would uh, guess, at least in terms of storytelling. So video games have a particular advantage in that they put the experiencer, the audience member, in the place of the acting role as the protagonist, usually. Uh, and there's some video games that do a very good job at telling stories, like Portal 2. Uh, they trying to think of the games that have the greatest stories of all time award. It's like Usually like Zelda and uh, Rockstar Games, the newer Grand uh, Theft Auto's, or um, what was the cowboy one? Red Dead Eruption. Yeah, those. so I think they have an advantage as a storytelling medium in that you can have an open world so you can explore the whole world. And when you have a huge-ass budget, like Rockstar, you just have every single character in the entire world have a unique line every time you go and talk to them. And that's really cool to like have this microcosm that you can interact with. Even if it's not like you don't have to go and finish the story, you know, fill out this character's arc, you could just go around murdering or sucking venom out of people. I don't know. It's a lot of fun. You know, this is definitely the funnest of the mediums because you get to play with the elements of the story. I
2: think that's a subjective viewpoint, but I mean, by saying that it's the most fun, it's it's a subjective one. I think uh, you definitely have said that it's your your favorite, right? It's
0: it's the most interesting to me because it's, there's so many new possibilities that they could do with it, like a. A new game like Disco Elysium has you play this uh, detective, and then you're always having an inner dialogue of all the different parts of your psychology, like volition, and logic, and empathy. And they're, like, having this inner dialogue that works as, like, a narration as you're interacting with the world there. I've never seen that in a movie. It's super cool. I
1: think
2: um, video games are, I don't know, it's, it's more difficult for a video game to have
0: a point. I don't know, it's... it's Their message gets, like, diluted. Like, if Fox Stars like, violence is bad, but then you're, like, just doing a bunch of violence.
2: Right. And and really, it's like the thing you take away from that is that, wow, violence is really fun. One of the things that I I brought up earlier was, not in the podcast, but just uh, internally, was in a traditional story, the main character or main characters, the, the story establishes the psychological and moral weaknesses of these characters, and you get to see them develop. And, and the story will directly challenge that character um, on these weaknesses until they either uh, overcome them or are destroyed. And so, in a video game, either you are playing as the main character who has these weaknesses established and they're just kind of told to you, and you ha- you're kind of forced to only get the character development through like cutscenes, or your character is a blank slate and you're just role playing as them. And then you're really not able to have the story within the game challenge your personal psychological weaknesses or moral weaknesses because how in the hell would it ever know what your (laughs) psychological or moral weaknesses are so the story ends up not actually being tailored around you but all the other characters around you
0: kind of see that how you like pick up clues from the environment about who you are and like your dialogue choices Mm -hmm. kind of form your own kind of personality although that's kind of shallow usually but i don't know what would you say about the that it how can it know your personal weaknesses? So why 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 do movies move us so much and they can make us feel about our own weaknesses while video games are just like, is it too empowering or video games too give us too much power?
2: It's a very different position that we have as an audience member. Uh, We're not an audience member within a video game. And so instead of us feeling sorry for ourselves or character we're inhabiting, we just feel annoyed at the rest of the world within that game uh, if it's being mean to us. Uh, so, I mean, feel justified in killing a bunch of stuff.
0: You mean game.
2: So it's, it's a little bit more, I don't know if video games are really about telling your own story. They're, I mean, the stories you get usually in a video game are about the surrounding characters. They
0: got like the, uh, choose your own path, with dialogue options, and but it doesn't
2: mean your character is growing per se. Things are just kind of happening to your character.
0: Yeah, I guess it's, they don't really change as much as other characters might change their relations to you in those kind of games. It's not really changing much about the actual characters. You still just it's a blank like, slate.
2: And any any relationships that you develop, or you know, develop by your choice, usually, you know, if you're gonna get married or something like that, it's you know, you go and interact with other other NPC for you know five different types of interactions, and then suddenly you ask them to marry you, right? It's like, <laughs> um, and then it there's moves very
0: of... quickly from there to something else. Yep.
2: Yeah. But I mean so it's just there's not a lot of character development that happens. Um you're you're not earning anything on an interpersonal level, really. So you're kind of limited in how deep you can get uh into the the emotional aspect or the emotional experience.
0: Exactly. Really. So uh, we we touched on poems too before, I mean.
2: Oh okay, yeah, yeah have, yeah. <laughs> you're saying, Oh yeah, we already talked about poems, let's just move on. <laughs>
0: They're kind of limited, you know, They I think there's a good case that they're like the start of storytelling. and that For written media, they used to do oral traditions of storytellings, and they used to put it in a kind of rhyming pattern, so that it was easier to remember, because they couldn't write things down. And then you got, like, I think the first story, the oldest story is like the Epic of Gilgamesh, there might be an older It probably is, we just don't have them written. But I think poems are important in terms of storytelling because they show the archetypes that have been around in humanity since the beginning. It's like you can recognize when you read the epic, Gilgamesh about like I think the gods are like angry at Gilgamesh because he's this overpowered king so they make like his counterpart it's like his twin brother who's like this naturey guy he's like a hippie and you know it's like you, you recognize that it's like oh he made they made a double of him they're gonna annoy each other yeah it sounds like a sitcom you know it's like a sitcom yeah it's like you <laughs> or, recognize it you still can ep- you can relate to this story even though it's like but loads of years old centuries
2: well that's the power of just of storytelling in general that storytelling usually hits on like fundamental experiences that we we kind of just always have somebody being treated unjustly brothers and sisters and parents all these kind of relationships that are expressed in storytelling are relationships we still have right and it's similar types of, of things that are happening to us obviously the context can be very different but ultimately the emotional experience is it tends to be very similar it's not just necessarily limited to poems the thing about poems that kind of makes them different than all the other ones, if you think about novels as like the the one end of the spectrum, right, where you have a lot of room to really contextualize your meaning uh, and really expand on uh, the nuance of whatever point you're trying to get across. And short stories is kind of being in the middle, uh, where you have to really hit on your, your point hard and fast. Poems are kind of at the very opposite end of the spectrum in that you're only trying to get across the very deep meaning without a lot of context, right? It's it's, it's a highly concentrated meaning, and usually, what happens is they uh, they use shortcuts within language, um, usually in the form of puns or something like that, to express meaning without really having to be explicit,
0: um, right? It's a lot of associations and imagery that evoke things instead of just describing them.
2: And if they have a character, you know, you might have one or two. Maybe, and that's kind of it. Oh, you like, don't, you oh, don't...
0: what's that poem by T.S. Eliot, uh, Dr. Poofrock or something? I love that I one. don't know. Or the old, he's like crawling at the bottom of the ocean at the end. He's like this old guy. It's a famous one. Anyway.
2: I mean, obviously we, uh, and the difference here, though, is that, you know, we're, poems is, is kind of the, the larger format, um, but something can be, like an epic poem can be much more story-driven, right? And usually it's just written in, in, uh, some rhythm and with rhyming and that's really what makes it an epic poem.
0: Right. So the the Go ahead. Iliad Odyssey, for example, there they're all they all rhyme or they try to.
2: The question is though, like the argument can be made, or at least the question can be asked, are they poems or are they poetic? Another point I was trying to make about that kind of spectrum uh, analogy was any any story you write, right, should have symbolism. You should you should always be using symbolism in your stories. Um it's very it's a very, very powerful tool. And so all of that you know from a larger story is really densely concentrated in a poem right and so you lose a lot of the context um or almost all the context uh and because of that it tends to be much more open ended uh in terms of its interpretation than the other formats right and SK you had a uh, a point to make about the longer poems and stuff about humans' ability to to deal with them
1: the uh the symbolic nature of poetry and how if we stay too symbolic stay too ethereal for too long, we uh can't seem to stay focused on it. Yeah. You know, there's just not enough reality to grip onto after a certain point if we stay, you know, wispy.
0: I feel like you're trying to tell me something.
1: <laughs> That's you interpreting what you need to hear. <laughs>
0: but to um, the point
1: of uh something being poetic versus being a poem, I think that leads us back into uh from our previous discussion of the stage and theater specifically Shakespeare, because Shakespeare's works are written in iambic pentameter, which is poetic, but right. Hamlet isn't a poem, it's a play. Right, And I think that has to do with the intention of how the work is meant to be portrayed or seen. So I guess poetic elements can be applied to almost anything. It's just what medium does it end up being consumed in?
2: And, uh, and Tom, you had a, a point to make about using poems in other mediums.
0: Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Magnolia? No, it was a pretty no. epic poem that, or like um yeah, just how you use other mediums to complement other art forms. Uh, like yeah, you got music. That's a super important part of showing uh, the universe of a world. Like in Game of Thrones, they have different songs they sing. In Lord of the Rings, they have a bunch of songs and they even have poems in it. And it's just mm. it's a good way to like use art to boost art.
1: I think this boosts the point from earlier of uh, using. Like poetry, as very loaded symbolism, right? And then applying it to another medium enhances the symbolism. You know, it's greater than the sum of the parts. It's more than, more powerful than just the specific words used. It's what is the association of that poem? What are the interpretations of that poem? How many people have heard the poem? How do they feel about it? So, by adding a poem to something like a film or to I don't know a music video or something, it can cause a cascade of feelings or interpretations that wouldn't be necessary or not necessary, that wouldn't be possible otherwise with new content.
2: It's actually interesting because like the, um, the lack of context in a poem, or at least a really, you know, densely concentrated uh, symbolic poem when placed or used within a, a, a larger storytelling format provides the context that was initially lacking in that poem. Right. So it had a lot of interpretations, but by throwing it into the context of this other story, you actually give it a very specific meaning within that story by providing the context, which I think is a really interesting way of of using poetry as a symbol.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's actually a good note. Is that if you go like one level higher from just applying the poetry to something like a film, the film plus the poetry, they actually play off each other, and that's again another greater than the sum of its parts.
0: In the movie Interstellar, uh, they use the poem uh, "Do Not Go Gentle" in that dark night which i thought was do not go soft and it's a good way to capture the emotion of that fear the existential fear that humanity is feeling in the movie or at least the, the physicist who quoted it right. is feeling into moving into non-existence if their mission would fail it's like holy shit they used a the poem it's got to be serious right <laughs> it's got to be serious
2: <laughs> so kind of uh pretty related to poems uh and and tom you were already kind of bringing this up music that's another form of uh of, of storytelling the the lyrics tend to be kind of poetic right um a lot of oftentimes though the the lyrics in a song aren't really intended to be you know fully symbolic like not a lot of not as much emphasis has been placed on making every word be you know having two or three or 800 different meanings and all very tightly packed together and super open to interpretation right usually it's like it, it's it's written to be you know, rhythmic and, and have a rhyme and whatever else. Uh, and maybe there is some poetic, like, uh, symbolism and, and stuff going on in the lyrics, but usually it's not entirely that way. Um, but they are fairly
0: uh, interrelated. Right, there's different interpretations. Like, if you take the song Jenny of the Old Stones, Game of Thrones, talks about Jenny would dance with her ghosts, but we could relate that to the story of like that you was know, dancing around for sword it's yeah. more gen- you can uh, uh, generalize it and apply it to different things as opposed to just it's not an actual story about a girl named well it is about a girl named jenny who dances a ghost right? mm. it's also not right as right. opposed to a movie yeah, which is what it is yeah, yeah i think that's a, a good example of
2: a song that is very poetic um and and yeah can definitely there's not a lot of context within the song and so you're able to kind of apply it to a lot of other things because of that also done by Florence and the Machine which is awesome I do not I don't like the Florence and the Machine version as much as the uh original version from the show but all right. that's fine all right just the personal opinion okay not all songs are necessarily meant to be stories either right sometimes it's just it's a compliment right it's it's stuff like instrumental music tends to not be intended to be a story sometimes you could argue that it's it's a story uh just like some classical music and, and stuff like that tends to have like uh, the rise and fall that kind of uh, matches with the um, the rise and falls uh, the beats of a of a story as well, and so you could kind of argue that they follow this sort of structure. But based on the emotions that you kind of get in it, you can kind of almost picture a story. So I, I, there are some songs that are instrumental songs that could kind of be argued that they are storytelling. But I, I think there's a lot of songs that are not meant to be you know told as a story or uh, are not meant to be super symbolic they're just kind of you're supposed to listen to it and and enjoy it and that's kind of it and whatever you take away from it is what you take away from it tom you uh uh you had a point about uh, music complementing
0: the. Yeah, i kind of touched on it before yeah it's about how uh, music is just another art form to engage the emotions in different mediums like in even poems you can have music in the background in movies you always have the theme and this the music in the background that kind of sets the tone and mm. if you're trying to explore a world it's a good way to show the culture of different characters if they sing the songs of their people or if they're singing it's uh dancing in the rain as they're beginning to do something terrible i'm singing in the rain sorry
1: but to the point about music complementing things i think yeah that we can look at that as a similarity to poetry that music encompasses a lot of times without uh lyrics music can Mm -hmm. encompass like one dimension in the same way that poetry accomplishes the one dimension of just the word and by adding it to something that is audio visually complex it does plus it right. in a specific way that's not always confusing and after a certain point like Tom was saying about music relating to the people and what they're doing music can become loaded can become a symbol itself right. throughout a story
2: i think a great example of that again because I, look we're going to reference things that are good because they're good <laughs> so i'm just going to keep referencing them uh game of thrones and lord of the rings right uh you have the um uh the song of the shire or the, the, the melody from the shire that comes up every time they're thinking about home um, or being lamentful, right? Uh, That chimes in, and it makes you feel...
1: Makes me think of the Shire.
2: And, of course, you have the House Stark theme from... um game of thrones which uh whenever something usually whenever a character is about to die they play it and so they they do that a lot throughout like the first few seasons and stuff and so they kind of establish that if a character especially a stark character is in danger and that song starts playing that means they're about to die and you should get sad and then they they mess with you and they use that in season six during the battle of the bastards to make you think john's gonna die over and over again those spoilers. spoilers
1: spoilers spoilers <laughs>
2: Look, if you haven't watched it, you're not going to watch it.
1: (laughs) How do you know that someone isn't going to wake up from a coma, and the first thing they do is listen to this, and they're like, oh man, Game of Thrones, that's still on? Oh no, Battle of the Bastards, what's going on? Season 6? I only watched season 1. I don't know if
2: that's really that.
1: Well, you just said that the music plays every time they die in earlier seasons. He's like, oh, I've only seen season 1. Only my boy Ned's dead. What about the rest of the Starks? you tell me they all die?
0: No. You son of a bitch. (laughs) That sounds absurd. They wouldn't kill all. No, they wouldn't. Point is, it's related.
2: The music is used as a as a symbol. Highly concentrated meaning. Yeah, man. And Tom, you had one more note that I have.
0: You can tell different kinds of stories and songs. Like you can hear Rascal Flats talk about highways, or you can talk about, you know, the uh the streets of like uh, Los Angeles from Coolio. I don't know who any of those people are. <laughs> <laughs> well this conversation didn't get very far.
1: You know who Rascal uh, Flats is?
0: No. You've never
1: I? <laughs> life is a highway? Life is a highway. Oh, okay. Sure. Oh, on on. Do, 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 do. oh I think that's a good ending note that uh Jack doesn't know music. <laughs> Jack really doesn't
0: don't. know music. Thank never you, this really has don't. been the soil podcast. Take it with us
1: next time. Like you're gonna get a little better of a close out than that. <laughs> wow. It sounds like you were well, get- it you sounds like you were getting up to leave the room i'm out peace well thank
2: you for joining us join us next uh, two weeks from now with our next podcast episode who knows
1: what it's gonna be it's, it's a, a mystery if you have any good ideas throw them down in the comments and we'll get to them <laughs> probably three weeks later it's gonna be quick. why the fuck are you always talking while i'm talking jesus christ <laughs> that's it i'm fucking no it's funny that's
0: that's Qualia. how close we should end it, it. Close, it. Qualia. close it close it